Hello, everyone. This is A Moment in History. I am Harrison Zyberg, and this is WCCS Podcast. We are now going into our 16th interview, and if my guests would like to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Razmi Key, Brendan's little sister. I'm 18 years old. I'm from Malden. I just graduated from Malden High this year, and I'm going to be an undergraduate at Harvard College. Yeah, so first question is going to be, do you remember in the past few months, the first moment you learned um, that you were going to be going, that the schools were going to be shut down, your high school was going to be shut down because of COVID? Um, yeah, I think it was through an email, and it was kind of uncertain at first. Like, originally they said that, oh, it's indefinite, and then it was closed, like, we're going to be closed the whole year. So it's kind of like a gradual process, not right away. And what were your feelings towards that closure? Um, it was a really weird feeling, kind of like a sinking pit in your stomach type of feeling, because it was like, up until that moment, it didn't really seem real. Like, I remember people were were still joking about just getting COVID-19. And like, they were discussing like, oh, what happens if clubs get canceled, or maybe we're out of school for a week, but no one even like entertained the possibility of like, the whole school year just shutting down after that. It wasn't until that email came in that it really felt like this was a like a truly like global pandemic that was going to affect our lives. And what was your first reaction to getting that email, learning that your school year, your senior year was going to be nothing like you thought it was going to be? It was very mixed. Like I remember notifying other people and then in group chats, people were like celebrating like, yeah, no school. But at the same time, it, it was hard to celebrate because you know that it's likely going to come at the cost of like all of these celebrations that have that we've looked for forward to for the past four years. And also just it just generally feels hard to celebrate something that happened due to a pandemic that's literally killing people. So it was extremely mixed feeling. And do those feelings um, change at all over the past few months over? It's even since you've graduated high school, how are your feelings towards the closure changed? Um, I would say my disappointment definitely peaked right right around like um when they were doing these like we did um the cap and gown pickup and we did like a kind of parade where the teachers came by and like honked their cars and stuff. I think around that time was when my kind of like disappointment peaked. Because it really, like, I was really feeling the loss of, like, graduation and prom and all those things. Because I knew that, you know, like, standing outside in my driveway, waving at my teachers going by in the car for, like, less than a minute was going to be, like, my replacement for graduation, possibly. So I think that moment is really when my kind of, like, disappointment and, I don't know, just sense of loss that I had, like, like the world had taken something from me in that moment it peaked but then afterwards I think when you're far more removed from it you get a little bit a little bit of a broader perspective and you kind of just learn to accept it that this is natural and that people are suffering way more than I am or have lost more than just like the class of 2020 has lost so I think it's been easier to come to terms with it now. Now a lot of things we were seeing um I guess or actually around the time of graduation was Celebrities saying like the class of 2020 is going to be stronger than ever or be unique because of how they graduated during this time. Did you or your classmates, did you have like, did you feel a difference in between other people? Did you feel or do you yourself think that moving forward, your class year is going to be somehow different than all the other class years just because you went through a graduation and all of these transformative moments during this such an odd time? I definitely feel like people who are like in high school now, like my class and the class like right after us are definitely going to be different, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to make us stronger. I somewhat cynically think that it's really them trying to put a positive spin on things. But I think with like, I think a lot of inequalities will be exacerbated because it's only like, the people who have access to the internet and have like a computer, like they're going to be able to still do things with their summer vacation and they'll still have resources on hand. But the people who don't, I think 
we'll fall behind a lot more. And even during the summer, we'll just have a lot less to do because you can't really go outside, you can't socialize. And if you don't have the internet, then you're really stuck at home. So I think that, I think that it will not necessarily be a good thing overall, the changes that will happen to my class. But I think that everyone will kind of move forward with that sense of instability. And I think that that will make us more prepared for life, but it will also make us more cautious and more hesitant. So I think there will definitely be changes, but it's hard to say whether or not it'll be a net positive in preparing us for life or a net negative. Now, what would a typical day for you look like during quarantine? Um, so right now, I actually do have a virtual job. So I set my alarm for like 9.30. I normally wake up a bit before then. And then I'll just like scroll on my phone for an hour-ish. Then I'll wash, eat breakfast, and then I'll log on to my job at 11. And so I'm doing like um, a virtual summer program. Normally it would be in person, but this year it's obviously virtual. So then I'll just log on to Zoom. And um, basically it's like workshops that change every single day. And we were also planning some kind of like community event that's also been transformed to be virtual. So we'll be, we'll be doing like a presentation, interviews, and like different, like putting together different um, like videos and things like that, films. So that's kind of my job. And then I log off at 3.30. And then after that, it kind of varies. It's pretty much just free time for me. So like scrolling the internet, doing artwork, watching TV shows, helping my parents like cook or clean around the house. And then I will eat dinner anytime between like 6 and 7.30. And then normally like we'll do the chores. And then normally we will either like go to the beach walking or go on a bike ride or something. And then we just come home and kind of relax and then we just wash up and end our day. So where is it that you're interning or sorry, working? I'm working for Mothers for Justice and Equality. It's a nonprofit that's based in Boston. And uh, what kind of work does it do? Um, I wouldn't like, it's a, the, com the um, organization itself is focused around like kind of ending violence, gun violence, to, like domestic violence, and just trying to like help uplift youth and families in like the Boston community. But me specifically, it's, I wouldn't really describe it as work, even though I'm getting paid for it. It's more like a summer program and they're kind of like providing payment as an incentive to actually do the whole program. So it's a pretty easy job. It's pretty good. So to go back a little bit, um, while you were still in school, obviously you were taking classes remotely. Mm -hmm. um, can you describe what that looked like for you? Because I've spoken to a lot of college students, even across uh, multiple colleges, and they've all described their own way. So what was it like uh, where you were? And also, I know what high school you went to, but if you want to say what high school you went to. Sure. So I went to Malden High. Um, to say that I took virtual classes is to take the word classes very liberally. <laughs> um, they don't, I mean, I can't blame them. There was very poor communication and I think that there was not enough planning whatsoever. So I don't think teachers got very clear instructions, but um, I really only attended like one or two actual virtual classes. And those would just be like logging onto Zoom and the teacher would have like a PowerPoint and we just kind of like talk about the lesson as usual. And then other teachers would basically just like either post projects like on Google Classroom where they'd have like a document say, you need to write this essay or whatever. And it'd be based on stuff we already learned or like here's an article, take notes and submit it to us. But there were very, very few actual classes. It was more like they would submit assignments weekly on Google Classroom and then once a week they would have office hours where you could log on and ask them any questions but I have a sneaking suspicion that basically no one logged on to office hours because I know I didn't and if I didn't I'm assuming basically no one did. Now when you say you had one to two classes do you mean out of your like a week that you would log on or ever that you logged on? <laughs> like ever. I think because the engagement was really bad and it was just so difficult to teach mm -hmm. people and reach out to them that literally 
there was one like full class and then maybe like two other like semi kind of discussion e classes and mm-hmm. then that was it like teachers just stopped trying to do online classes because they weren't really working so if you could rate the quality of the education on a system like scale one to ten during quarantine what would you rate it um if 10 is like usual malvin high like class education um i would say like a i don't want to be too harsh i'll say a three you're really not going to learn anything unless you're the kind of student who like has already learned like in that specific scenario, you weren't going to learn anything unless you were already actively engaged in the class before we went virtual. And yeah, it, it just wasn't good teaching. I know you also had the unique opportunity to go through the college selection process during a pandemic, if I'm right in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember my college selection process, and I don't remember it fondly. Can you just tell us a little bit about what yours was like during it's or it, picking a college is always a stressful time mm-hmm. at least it was for me and i assume the pandemic sort of added onto that stress so can you just describe that process for us um yeah it was definitely more difficult this year because i was counting on being able to like go to the admitted students days and like checking out the campus and just like hearing from other students and being there in person, especially because some of these schools I had never visited and I was counting on if I get in, then I can go visit. Obviously that didn't happen. So I feel like I kind of fell back towards familiarity by just choosing the school that was literally the closest to me, just because with all the uncertainty that's kind of been thrown up into the air, I wanted a place that was like, if the semester is going to be shut down early, then Harvard is only 20 minutes away from my house. So it's super easy to pack up everything and go. Versus if I go to like Stanford in California, then I'd have to book a plane ticket last minute and I'd have to be like on my own in the West Coast, maybe only a couple weeks into this whole college thing, trying to figure out my own way to get everything packed up, ship everything back, get my own plane ticket, navigate everything. So I felt like that just would have been an extra stress on me that I really didn't want to put on. So that kind of affected my thinking. But in terms of actually selecting the college, a lot of colleges did try to do um, virtual admitted students days, where they'd still have like Zooms where students would come on and you could ask them questions about what it was like. And they'd have teachers who were kind of like talking about what it was like to attend that university. So they did do that, but they were were pretty boring. Not gonna lie, I did not attend a lot of those virtual admitted students days because they kind of just felt like lectures about what the school was like. And I think that it would have been very different in person just because you have that atmosphere of people being so excited to be in this one place, and just being able to like see a beautiful campus around you, seeing real college students. So it just it definitely did not give off the same kind of like vibe. So it was definitely harder to gauge One thing that I did find really useful actually was um, talking to students like um, so I'm on Reddit a lot and I'm on these um, like like applying to college based subreddits. So I posted about my results there and actually one student from Stanford contacted me and he said, hey, I'm a student at Stanford. Congratulations for being accepted. Would you like to talk to find out more about this school? So that was super nice and he was very, very helpful. So he offered like to just give me his email. I could ask him any questions. We set up a Zoom and then we just talked for like an hour. I also talked with another girl from Harvard who also reached out to me. That wasn't through Reddit. That was through the actual college, like giving people their emails to be like, hey, talk to these students, convince them to um, enroll at our school. So yeah, I was able to talk to them through like them setting us up with other students and we just talked over Zoom and I got all my questions answered. So that was very helpful, actually. Um, if you don't mind, could you list the colleges that you got into? Um, yeah, I got into Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Dartmouth, Brown, UPenn, um, Northeastern, Hamilton, Vanderbilt, Williams, Amherst, UMass Amherst, and Clark. 
I applied to a lot of school. Was that all of the Ivies that you got into? I applied to every single Ivy except for Columbia because my cousin went there and according to her mom, it's not safe. So my mom didn't let me apply. And can I ask, with that list, I just want to know, were there any colleges, you don't have to say if you don't want to, that said no? Yeah, there was. Um, Skidmore College, that was very unexpected. I'm not sure why. And then Princeton. So those are the only two that rejected me. Mm -hmm. But you still, you had good company in what you did get into. So um, I guess, so do you think you would have, you may have come to a different decision in what college you chose if you weren't, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic? If we weren't, maybe I would have chosen Stanford. I think just the different atmosphere very much appealed to me, but it's kind of clouded, like I said earlier, kind of clouded by the instability and the thought of just having to pack up everything and fly all the way back over here. Plus, it was a slightly more of a financial burden than going to Harvard. So I think for those two reasons, which were definitely exacerbated by the pandemic, I kind of just leaned towards somewhere that was more safe, somewhere where I actually knew a couple of students who were already there as well. So it was just that sense of security that kind of kept me in Boston, which I don't know if, it, if the pandemic didn't hit and I actually could have gone and seen the campus, I feel like I might've gone there, especially because everyone says the admitted students in person is very, very fun. So I might've ended up somewhere different if this hadn't happened. Now, I'm going to ask you some quick questions just so it can be like a sentence answer. Um, what has been your favorite TV show during quarantine? Um, I guess the only show, I've only watched The Clone Wars and Avatar The Last Airbender, so I'll say Avatar. We rewatched it. I think Brendan mentioned it maybe, but yeah, it's an all time classic. Very, very fun show. Uh, do you have a favorite book during? quarantine um i really want to get back into reading so i ha actually haven't read any books in a while because i can't really go to the library and i don't want to buy a book because i feel like i feel like that's a waste of money so i've been reading a lot of short stories on reddit there's a lot there's a lot of free books online but we'll move past that um <laughs> what's been a favorite moment your favorite moment of quarantine a highlight um i feel like yeah this is definitely the highlight it was um just like the day it was during quarantine where i i opened up all it's called ivy day it's like the day where you open up all of your um decisions from the ivy league schools so that was definitely the highlight maybe of the past four years maybe of my life it just felt like 18 years of it literally felt like 18 years had built up to that day. So definitely a big highlight. And then a question. So a lot of people have intuitive mentioned how much their sleep schedule has been awful during the past few months, just with all the changes. How has your sleep schedule changed, if it has at all? Mm, I don't think my sleep schedule has gotten too bad because I'm working. So I have to wake up at a slightly earlier time. But um, I, I feel like it's just gotten later and I've just slept in longer, which is what you would expect pretty much every teenager to do. Now, if you could think past uh, this year, past 2020, and then as, I think as a historian that you look back and you're trying to pick out one specific moment to write about, to like really focus on this year, what do you think historians will focus on when they do write books about this time? They're going to they're gonna write so many books. Um, just one moment. I feel like they will, historians will definitely have a good time writing about kind of like the intersection of the pandemic with the Black Lives Matter movement, like specifically like kind of melding the two together and seeing like what, out of all the different things that happened this year, what led to this specific moment of like civil unrest. So I feel like, especially because it became so big and so consuming that it probably would not have happened without the pandemic. So I feel like historians will definitely like kind of zero in on that moment, especially if we do see legislative change. I really hope that we do, but as far as I'm aware, there's no like 
on the federal level, nothing has happened yet conclusively. And if you could speak to those historians right now, what would you want them to write about? Hmm. That's, that's a very difficult question. I don't know. I'm really interested. I'm extremely interested to read the books to see what I personally have missed out on, like beyond the news cycle. But I'm kind of interested more in like trends. So I'm really interested in like long term, like if this moment will be like a breaking point or we will see like trends starting to deviate in terms of like, I mean, because I'm in school, I'm very interested in school. So I'm interested in how this will affect like learning and inequality and how like this will exacerbate different inequalities between people that do and don't have access to technology. Just seeing like the long-term trends of this, I'm sure people are like already starting to study this and that they've been tracking the data furiously. So I'll be really interested to see just those long-term trends in like 10, 20 years from now. Now, is there a new story in the year 2020 that you think isn't getting enough attention or that you think should be focused on but hasn't really been or was forgotten about? Because there was just so much news every single week that we get. There's been, I have a hard time remembering back to February. So I know news stories have been lost. Is there something you think we should be paying attention to and we're not? I don't know. I don't know if I'm even paying attention to the right things because it's moving so, so fast. Um, to me personally, I feel like I generally have a gripe with the news that it does tend to forget things as soon as like the flash is over. Like with the Black Lives Matter movement, they focus so much when it was all rioting. But now that there's still so many peaceful protests going on, like it seems to move past it. And it's just kind of like, now we're kind of moving towards more of the social aspects of like people calling out celebrities and social movements. So um, I think that while those things are valuable, that I personally, and I think it's because I've like, done so many like political organization type things in high school, that I'm definitely interested in seeing legislative changes. And I do wish that there was news that kind of focused on like the up, like progress following like different bills moving through the House or the Senate, or like what have people proposed to actually like address the situation rather than just focusing on like people calling each other out on social media or like viral video clips, just like actually like following legislation. I would really be interested in seeing that kind of news be more of the focus. Now, what do you think um, one of the biggest problems, and it can be as something you've already mentioned or something that we haven't talked about, is to our generation? What do you think the biggest, I guess, maybe threat that we face is? I would say seems pretty unrelated now, but I would just say in general that our biggest challenge is climate change. And I feel like this moment kind of does prove that it's such an easy issue to ignore. And it is being ignored for rightful reasons right now. Like we have so many pressing issues in the world right now. But because climate change is such like a subtle thing, it's like, a frog being boiled in a pot, like when there's so many other things to distract us from, and I, I don't want to say like they're distractions, obviously these are extremely important movements and they do need to be happening, but like climate change, it's never going to have like that moment. It's not going to have like, like a visceral, emotionally grabbing moment in the same way that police brutality has had this moment where it's awakened us off like how brutal and how terrible of a problem it is. But climate change really can't have that moment because it exists in data and it exists in countries that are that feel very far removed from us and it exists in like natural disasters and events that people could, you know, maybe like just wipe off as naturally happening, but the rate of them happening is the issue. So I feel like because it's so easy to ignore that unless there's a way for us to actually like I don't know if market's the right word, but like communicate the urgency of it. I don't think that change is happening 
nearly as fast or that urgency is really placed on it as much as it should be. And it, it definitely does scare me how, how bad the, our entire world is going to become for our generation, for every single generation after that. Yeah, like, I mean, it will, it can literally affect everything. It affects the entire world. And it's just not taken seriously because it affects everything, because it's so large that it's hard to like see the details. So for that reason, I would say that's, that's what I would say is the most overarching long-term issue facing our generation. And so right now, I guess we're in the midst of at least a resurgence of a social movement, probably at the beginning of one. Um, do you see different issues like climate change being able to work themselves into and like keep the momentum and I guess do you think other issues will be able to um take the momentum right now that the, like the Black Lives Matter movement has and run with it to try to affect change or do you think it will need its own event its own movement to try to really push for something mm, I don't think that I don't think that moment will come for an issue like climate change, but I think that there definitely could be a different approach to it in which we do kind of mingle it into social issues. Because if you think about like what parts of the world are like being most like harmed by climate change, like big issues like this always make the most vulnerable in society even worse. So I feel like if we were able to mingle issues such as pollution or climate change into current social issues, then in a way that like makes sense and kind of like allies the climate change with other social movements that are gaining momentum. And I think that's an approach that could actually lead to this issue being taken more seriously by a broader group of people and seeing like exactly how it affects every single person's life. Now, in the past few weeks, um, I think since May, we've seen states start to reopen. And we've also seen states pretty much have to lock down again because they opened too early, didn't take the right precautions. But Massachusetts has pretty steadily reopened in the past few weeks. How do you feel about those reopening plans? Do you think it's right on time? Do you think it's too early? Um, and also reopening plans for your school next year. Uh, that you're going to do you think do you agree with what they're trying to do or would you like to see it in a different way hmm. i feel like going based off of feeling is a pretty bad like way to look at big decisions like this because personally i don't feel safe with the reopening like even my parents are like oh we have to go outside we have to get some exercise and we walk around and we see that almost no one is wearing a mask. I certainly don't feel safe. And it's kind of hard to believe that things are actually trending better when I like, see like people are running and like going to the beach and all these crowded places. And yet the numbers are still trending down. So I think I have to trust the experts on this one that maybe my eyes are like deceiving me or maybe my emotions and my paranoia. I've just kind of like gotten out of control by being socially isolated for so long. Because I know like anti-maskers kind of go based off of how they feel. So I don't want to like go based off how I feel because I feel like that would be hypocritical. So I'm kind of like ignoring how I feel when I see other people not wearing a mask and be like, okay, the data says that we're trending downwards and that obviously this has been an issue that has been extremely labored over. And there are lots of costs to staying closed as well. Even though there are costs to reopening, there are also costs to staying closed. So I'm going to trust that they made a balanced decision because they chose that things are trending down. Even if I personally don't feel super secure, I'm going to like put those feelings aside and try to be as objective as possible. And in terms of the schools reopening, I feel like I don't think Malden has even like let out any like official statement. And I they're generally kind of bad with communication. They tend to like let out announcements like on the last minute and not plan ahead a lot. At least that's how it looks from the outside. So I don't think they have put out any official statement on what they're doing, but um, I am definitely concerned because it's so much harder to make sure that young kids, I mean, it's harder on both ends. It's harder to make sure that young kids are actually learning anything when they're doing virtual learning, but it's also harder for young kids to, to stay safe 
when they probably will not keep their mask on, don't wash their hands properly, or maybe don't even wash their hands at all when they go to the bathroom. And just generally like, you know, they don't always wipe their nose. They're a lot more likely to like hug and tug at each other on recess. And they're just closer and have less, like less physical distance, I feel like. So I'm definitely worried for what will happen when these kids go to school. Or if just one person in the whole building has COVID, then is everything going to have to shut down? And will our teachers not be prepared again because they because we didn't start off virtually and they were planning to have things go on in person? If they're going to make that same jump back to virtual be springed upon them, then like I know that my education in the past year was not great online. So would they be even would they be prepared for that if they did have to shut down all of a sudden? So I think there's a lot of considerations and there's honestly no good option. But I think that some hybrid model, something where we're splitting the difference will probably be what we go with. But there's really, there's no winning situation. Like it's not an easy decision to make. So I don't blame them for not knowing exactly what to do or being like, this is like communicating clearly every single time because it is hard and they will probably have to make changes halfway through. So yeah, I have no idea what they should be doing. And what do you think about Harvard's plan for reopening next next year or next semester? They're being, I would say they're being more cautious than average. I've heard about some schools where they're letting more students come back or letting students, all of their students choose or having some classes in person. Harvard is being very, very cautious in that everything is going to be online. And so only 40% of students are allowed back onto the campus. But even then, it seems like I'll just be staying in my dorm the whole time because all these social events and like clubs and organizations, they're all going to be virtual. So at this point, it kind of feels like I'm just going to be socially isolated in my dorm, going to online classes, online social events, online clubs. And I understand why they're doing that. Like they have lots of testing in place. We're all going to be in single dorms. So they're, they're trying to be very, very cautious. And they obviously have like older professors. They have a lot of liabilities that they need to be safe. And generally, I generally like to stay on the side of better safe than sorry. So I can't fault them for being so cautious, but I do have reservations about what the experience is going to be like because I've seen the Harvard dorms they're not they're not so nice they're very small even in comparison to other dorms I've seen and I feel like if every single thing we do is online like all the virtual social clubs classes then that will also have serious negative health impacts on its students if we're literally in like a tiny little room all day staring at a screen rather than being able to go out interact face-to-face, you know, use the gym, walk around. Like, I don't know if there are, like, I think it will, it will definitely be bad for people's mental and physical health to be in that situation long-term as well. So I don't know if there's a way where they could have, like, incorporated some in-person events, but I feel like they're, they should try as, as soon as it's possible So that I think just to protect students' mental health, because I know that it's not the greatest situation to be in your room all day, but it's better than catching COVID. So like that's the answer to everything. Like there's there's two sides and I don't know. You mentioned um, a little bit earlier how, you said that you mentioned like a sense of paranoia. Have you been feeling a sense of anxiety of every time you go outside? Um, anxiety in general because of COVID and everything going on uh, or has it been like increased because of the current situations? I know I can speak for myself personally. I know I like to go for walks. There's always a bit of fear that what if we come across someone who's sick or don't I come back for some reason don't wash my hands well enough. So do you feel the same way or is it a different type of feeling for you? Um, yeah, I'd say it's the same general type of way. It's really funny how this will skew how you look at the entire world. <laughs> like, I remember very, well, not, it was like earlier into the pandemic when this was like a really serious thing. 
and we were all wearing our masks and we were walking down the bike path and my mom was like, oh, there's a horde of people coming. And it was literally like a family of four people on the bike path. And it was so funny to think of how much this has warped our perception. Like a four has never been a horde of anything before until this pandemic. But now it does kind of have the, it's kind of like a insidious way of thinking where at the back of my mind, when I meet someone, especially if they're not wearing a mask, I'm like, is this person a risk to like me or my family? And that's not a pleasant thing to think about whenever you meet someone, but it kind of is a reality that makes me draw, withdraw a little more and like want to like walk to the side when I see people. So it definitely has affected the way that I navigate through the world and the way that I view other people. This will be a two-part question, but from your perspective, how do you think people in Malden have been treating um, COVID? Have they been treating it seriously enough? And the second part, if you could, if you could send a message directly to the people who don't like wearing masks, for whatever reason, what would it be? In terms of the response in Malden, I'm not, I'm not super plugged into what the rest of Malden has been doing because I've been staying in my home for so long and I'm not on like any of the Malden politics, like Facebook groups or anything. So I've seen like they, they have announced, like they've, re they've released like what the numbers are, how many people in Malden are affected, have, the, have tested positive. And it is a surprisingly high number, but um, it's hard to judge because <laughs> I've been inside. So I don't know if everyone else has been staying inside. I haven't been seeing people. I know my friends and most people I talk to have, do say that they have been socially distancing though. And I trust that the majority of people are trying to do what's right for themselves, for their family and for their community. But um, so the people who haven't, the anti-maskers, it's just, it's just like the anti-vax movement. It's, it's so terrible that in America, like scientific facts have become like such a politically polarizing thing like like it should not be political to discuss a pandemic like it should just be like a reality it shouldn't like there shouldn't be two sides on it I don't understand how America can do that it's so frustrating to read the news about it if I could send a message to them it would be that wearing a mask is really not that bad like especially if you don't have to wear glasses and they don't fog up your entire like like the entire um, field of view, especially not, then you really don't have a reason to complain. Like there's so many videos of like people with asthma saying, if I can wear a mask, you can too. So I feel like there are so few legitimate excuses not to wear a mask. Like they're cheap, people will give you them for free. They will like beg you to wear a mask. Like you can, there are people giving them out for free. There's legitimately no reason not to. And if you are like, I, can't, I honestly don't know what to say because I can't understand their logic for not wearing a mask. Like, it barely inconveniences you. It could possibly save your life, could potentially save the life of a loved one or just a random person who you should have compassion for that, like, even if it was a government hoax, what would be the cost of it? You're just wearing a piece of cloth over your mask. Why would the government want to fool you into wearing a piece of cloth? There's literally no benefit for anyone. Just wear the mask. I don't understand. Um, and just for the record, since this will be an audio file to the <laughs> listeners, Razmi does have glasses, so she knows she knows about the struggle of getting those fogged up. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that we haven't spoken about that you would like to speak about? Hmm. I guess from a school angle, I've been thinking especially about like my younger cousin who's going to be applying to school. And one thing that I do feel is kind of strange is that there's been so much focus on my class specifically, but I do really, really feel bad for the juniors who are going to be seniors next year because I feel like they're not just like, it'll ruin the whole, like for me, it ruined like choosing colleges, but for them, it will kind of ruin applying to colleges as well because so many activities have been canceled. They maybe lost their summer plans. They've lost the opportunity to hang out with their friends or they really seal up any connections that they have with 
other people in their communities or their teachers. I feel like, so, like, I know that in my junior year, a lot of stuff happened and I was definitely kind of like planning out like, how am I going to apply to college? What's my resume going to be like? And like, you kind of build that over four years. So to have such a major wrench thrown into their plans and not only that, but making like the whole, like making SAT testing more difficult and potentially making college applications more competitive because so many people are deferring or have chosen to take a gap year or like for different reasons, I feel like it will probably be a lot more of a difficult year to apply to a college and get into a college. And I feel like that will also have a big impact on them. And maybe they won't even get a prom or a graduation either. So for that class, I definitely feel even worse for them. And I think that has also helped me get over like the disappointment of not having these things that even in my own high school, there will be people that are affected way worse. So I do feel really bad for that class. And for all the graduated seniors in college as well. I feel like high school has been, has taken up more of the focus, but I feel so bad for the people who are trying to enter the job market right now. It's just like a state of absolute uncertainty and higher risk for certain jobs as well that it's, it's, it's a situation that sucks for so many people in so many different ways. So it's better to, it's, I guess it's better to take your mind off of your, what you've missed out and just kind of give yourself perspective and think about how much all these other groups are suffering. Is there um, anything else you would like to bring up? Hmm. Other thoughts I've had about this specific time period. The presidential election have got, has gotten, um, very interesting. I don't know if Kanye West is still in or not, or if he was I ever. I believe he dropped out, but I think he actually will end up on the Oklahoma ballot. I think that I think that's what the news told me, but I don't know how true it is. Yeah, that's really funny that <laughs> that that happened. But it's so weird how little it's been on people's radars. Like it was such a big deal in the primaries. And like, that was all that the news was talking about for a good segment early into the year. And I felt like I honestly did expect it to play a more prominent role than it actually has been. I thought because I thought healthcare for one would be a huge issue and that people would try, would be trying to use that in political campaigns as well as the Black Lives Matter movement, I felt like Democrats would have been trying to like align themselves more on that side. And I honestly am shocked at like, even though it's, it's like such a political time, but not political in the ways that I expected it to be because there's been so little focus on the presidential election. And I know that's not all that matters, but like in terms of media coverage, it sometimes feels like that's all that matters. And the fact that it hasn't gotten that much coverage has been very surprising to me. Uh, can I ask, who did you support in the primaries? You don't have to answer if you don't want to, but. Um, that was my first primary, so I did try to do some research, but I did quite, I did try to have like a good ex extensive amount of research on all the candidates. I ended up going for Bernie Sanders and I had slightly convinced my parents to vote for Elizabeth Warren rather than Joe Biden. I was like, I'll take her over Biden. So yeah, that's who I voted for. So I assume you're not the biggest fan of the current nominees for the president? Yeah, definitely not. But I'd still vote for him over Trump. And I really wish we weren't in that scenario. I wish we had not a lesser of two evil scenario, but it seems like we always will have that kind of scenario unless something changes in the way that we shoot and some, something changes in the system that we elect our politicians. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll vote for Biden in November. Can I ask why do you view Biden as the lesser of two evils? Is it just because you didn't support him in the primaries or is it some deep ideological thing, difference that you have with him? It's not a deep ideological difference. I only phrase it that way because I feel like, I mean, I, I definitely would not describe Joe Biden or his like campaign or stance as evil, 
So I don't mean it to like frame it in that way, just that it's kind of like choosing who would you, it, like the, the way we look at is, at least for me personally, always feels like, who would you like? Like, who do you dislike less? It's kind of like, that's how I'm voting. So that's why I described it that way. But obviously I would not describe him as evil, just questionable. I know he had allegations of sexual assault and I feel like those kind of, kind of got quickly like overlooked, especially with so much going on. And just like his answer is always like, he's an, he's an older person running for president. And sometimes I feel like he does feel extremely out of touch. So as specifically as a young person, I can't really resonate so much with like the way he even answers his questions or the way that he seems to view the world through how he answers in like debates and stuff. Um, now, is there anything else you would like to talk about that we haven't mentioned? Anything else? No, I I guess not. I've yeah, don't have too much on my mind. I've been thinking more about personal stuff. Okay, then so we'll move on to the last two questions, which are almost always the same or have the same across the interviews. But what do you think the next steps are? And that can either be for you, um, your family, Malvin, however you want to interpret it. Hmm. For me, I feel like my next steps haven't changed. I'm just going to go to college. That's always my goal. Um, and my family's definitely in an extremely fortunate position where like my dad can keep going to work virtually. But for as for the world at large, I mean, a lot, a lot has to change, but I don't know if things will change as much as they should. Yeah. Um, for Malvin specifically, I feel like communication, like I feel like the next steps should just like the literal next steps, like the most immediate next steps should be just like opening up things to the community. Like they should have some kind of virtual forum in terms of like, hey, here's what we're thinking so far, like for school specifically, like they should be opening it up to be like, what kinds of concerns do you have? What would you rather have us do? And like, be polling people like, if we offer virtual and in person, would you rather stay virtual? Would you rather go in person? Like, they should be like allowing input from the community rather than trying to keep like closed doors. So I think just having that conversation should be the next step before they make any final decisions. And the last question, which Again, I've, I've said this before in interviews, but I always think it could be the most difficult to answer, but it is the most straightforward. Are you hopeful? Mm. I would say that is kind of difficult. I would say yes, that I've simultaneously like seen the world as a worse place but also still like been hopeful that it can get better. Like before, I, th I feel like it's easy to ignore some problems. And like specifically with the Black Lives Matter movement, like it's made me less hopeful in the sense that it's, an e that it's a, definitely a problem that I've had the privilege of not like thinking about overly until this moment, until we all saw like the video where, I mean, it's, def it's horrifying, so. It definitely, like, it, it pushed me to do a lot more research into it, and it made me less, less positive, but, but still hopeful. Like, it made me view the world as a worse place, but I still have the hope that it can become a better place in the sense that there's obviously so much change, and there's so much momentum around it right now that I believe that, that, we no I'm it's, it's hard to say definitively because sometimes it feels like it's frustrating that it feels like 
there is so little change. A lot of it feels so symbolic, but I feel like it is a sign that if things are changing socially, then even if they're not changing right now, that that things will change. If, it, if there's a change in society, I think sometimes the laws and our systems lag behind, but because it's so clear that we really had that shift in the past couple of weeks, or not more than a couple, but because things have definitely, I felt changed socially, that I think I am hopeful that things will get changed on a broader, more systematic level. So in terms of racial equality, I'm, st- I'm still hopeful. Like there's been so much support. It's such a big social movement that I'm still hopeful for at least that. In terms of COVID, all these anti-maskers, like I know there have always been people like that. There's always been like anti, anti-vax people. So that's not a surprise. And I think it will, like it's gotten worse, but I think a vaccine will come out eventually. And I don't know if the world will ever, this sounds dramatic to say, I don't know if the world will ever be quite the same. Kind of like, I'm not, I don't want to compare it to 9-11, but like, you know how like after that, just travel, the way you think about going on a plane has kind of changed. Like it always is like stuck on the back of your mind, just in the, maybe just in the very back, but it's like, it's a possibility that you will feel a little bit less safe and there'll always be a little bit more precaution that you take into your daily life. And I feel like that will probably stick around for a really long time. But I I am hopeful that there will be a point where there is a vaccine where wearing masks when you're sick is completely normalized. So I think there will be a point where we are better and we are fully recovered economically and medically, but I don't think that the world will ever be quite the same. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I hope you enjoyed getting to speak and I hope uh, you enjoyed being asked these questions. Um, again, once again, this was WCCS podcast, Moment History. My name is Harrison Zyberg, and thank you to all the people who will listen to this, either in the next few days or weeks when this is posted, or in the future when they're looking back at this time period. Uh, thank you for listening.